HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. We are a member-supported, nonprofit food radio station. That means that every single thing we do, from broadcasting 35 weekly shows for free to bringing you exclusive content from sold-out food events across the country to offering scholarships to high school students, is only possible thanks to the support of our loyal members. And we want you to join the club. Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate to become a member now. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 and the Good Beer Seal. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2017, and we've got some great guests joining us today at Heritage Radio Network. We'd like to welcome to the show, everybody introduce yourselves. Hey, Lou Bryson, freelance beer writer, whiskey writer, you know. Lou Bryson missed everything, and today on our show we're going to tackle a, a big subject, but we're going to fine hone it. We're going to talk about uh, you know the Evil Empire's acquisition of uh, you know homebrew supply chain, and uh, we wanted uh, Lou on board just to give his like full perspective. And you've been covering beer for how many years? Twenty five, thirty years? Yeah, about twenty five years. Yeah, so you're kind of our, our beer expert on the show, and then our good buddy from Bridge and Tunnel. Yeah, Rich, how you doing, Jimmy? Rich Castagna, this this show is your idea, wasn't it? Yeah. The last time that we were here, we got talking about this stuff. It was right when um, Wicked Weed had sold, and we talked. And next thing you know, we're talking about doing another show. And then we also got a homebrew shop owner. How you doing? This is uh, Pete from Homebrews and Hand Grenades. Pete Tripp, man. So, yep. you know, basically the show, you know, Richie had inspired it last month. And, you know, over the past month, as the Evil Empire bought up Wicked Weed and Rape Beer, and we learned about it. We decided we're going to go beyond that and talk about the impact of uh, you know, some of these large corporations and takeovers on the homebrew supply chain. So, Richie, give us a little background on, on you know, why we're talking about this, the, the online homebrew 
companies that, that you're referencing, and you know, and then Pete, you join in too. You know, you've got that little neighborhood yeah. you know, homebrew shop. So yeah, so try and tell a story that that hasn't been told in in the regular right. media. There's there's been uh, a number of developments recently, uh, more than one, but one of them was, you know, on on behalf of uh, AB InBev and. Um, including purchasing of rate beer, uh, developing an online a, a hard copy magazine uh, called October, what they're doing with Condé Nast, uh, purchasing 10 former craft breweries, uh, and now purchasing Northern Brewer slash Midwest Brewing Supplies, which is the largest uh, homebrew, online homebrew supply uh, company in the United States. Um, and uh, it's all been happening within uh, about six months. A number of these purchases have happened, uh, but it's been it started about two years ago. So, so with the, the homebrew homebrew supply chain, you know, and Pete, tell us what you know a little, a little introduction on your end, and, and, and Lou join in. You know, wh- why is that such a big deal? You know, are people a lot of people buying their homebrew supplies online? Uh, well, I, you know this. They've, they've always been there. Northern Brew has always been there. Um, but uh, as far as in regards to like that whole AB InBev um, acquirement of the of the um, that company, uh, you know, you just when when I first heard that this was going on, I was like, well, this could be either really good or really bad uh, for me because you know a lot of people that do homebrew are craft forward and they try to support that whole craft scene and. They could be like, well, I'm not going to buy from Northern Brewer anymore because they were they're acquired by, I guess, the quote unquote evil giant. Um, but you know, it's also tough too because you know I get the emails every day from Northern Brewer and Midwest. It's like, well, get it from us because you're going to get a whole bunch of free stuff. So, so they just, have that buying power. If I could just just to clarify, you're not buying from Northern Brewer. No, I'm not buying from yeah, Northern Brewer. This is strictly I, a, this is like a one customer at a time thing for them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're not you're not buying bulk from them as well as they're selling retail to other people. No, they're they're retail. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, they're not do- actually actually as a matter of fact, I'd say like a year and a half, Northern Brewer reached out to me and they were looking to do, um, to, like look into the whole wholesale part for stuff that is exclusive that they produce, and the numbers that they were giving me were like, well, you have to buy a whole pallet and you're only going to make six dollars on like a fifty dollar item. And they were like, "Well, you can upcharge it for ten dollars and have it in your shop." And I was like, "I was like, so I have to charge more, you know, charge more, so I look like scumbag, and you look <laughs> like, and you look like the saints." And it's like, "Yeah, well, free shipping on this thing that your local homebrew shop is now carrying, and they're not making any money on it." But Pete, let, let, let's step back. So you know, the, the, we're, we're going to try to set a little more framework for the show. So, sure. Pete, tell us how you started your homebrew shop because that's one of the. People forget just how important the, the homebrew movement was to, to the, the growth of, of craft beer. Sure. A, a lot of brewers that you know. A lot of brewers started, started out brewers. that way, yeah. I mean, there's a homebrew shop in Philly, Home Sweet Homebrew. I, I can't remember how many of the, of the Philadelphia area uh, breweries and brew pubs. I mean, they started by brewing a batch. Yeah, it was like 1979, President yeah. Jimmy Carter yeah. made yeah. homebrewing legal. Well, you know, it, it's, in, it's interesting on that time frame. And I'll make this real quick, but you know now we have five thousand three hundred breweries plus. Um, but it's not a first in the states. In eighteen seventy three, we had 
4,100 breweries plus. And it took 100 years to get to 1970s where we only had 44 breweries. And the projection for the end of the decade of the 1980s was that there was only going to be four breweries left in the United States. Anheuser-Busch, Miller, Coors, and Pabst Brewing Company. And if it wasn't for the home brewers that basically took the industry back, we wouldn't have craft beer in the United States. It was the home brewers in the 70s that then started creating small microbreweries in the 1980s. I mean, the first microbrewery you know, started in, there were eight microbreweries in the United States in 1980, and they were all former home you know, brewers. In New York City, just a few years ago, there were at least two or three different homebrew shops, and now there's only one, Bitter and Esther's. That's more of a, a classroom and, and a happening place. You know, tell us what, what's the role. You're in Baldwin, New York, right? Long Island? Yeah. Been, uh, tell uh, us the role of your homebrew shop and some of the things that you do there. Sure. I mean, so I guess the running joke of my shop now, it's become like the barber shop. Uh, <laughs> you know, people come in, and, and because of the shop, I mean, not to pat myself on the back, but there's like, there was like really not much going on in Nassau County in regards to like a craft beer homebrew kind of scene and people come in and people hang out and everyone's all friends now it even stemmed into like a homebrew club we have like you know 200 members we actually have a meeting tonight and you know we're getting 40 to 60 people coming in and everyone's friends like people from like all walks of life so I think my favorite part of of owning the shop is just the community that stemmed out of it everyone's friends like yesterday I had I actually had some free time and I reached out to a couple guys in the club. I'm like, hey, I, I got actually like four hours. Let's go check out the, you know, this brewery that opened up in Freeport. And a couple guys hanging out. So, and this would have never happened like four years ago. Uh, yeah, been uh, there. You know, talking about <laughs> local beers and you know small breweries. You brought in a, a, a local brew pub. Yeah, I, I mean, I live down in uh, Bucks County, north of Philly. Uh, this is um, the closest brewery to me. This is uh, from the Vault in Yardley, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's their New Zealand IPA. Um, you know, as a, I mean, it's, uh, well, it's not obvious to you, but, but <laughs> it's unfiltered. Uh, it's pretty cloudy. Um, I just had a, uh, I had a draft of it while, while while I was having this filled this morning. I just had this filled this morning at about eleven thirty, and it's uh, it's really fresh. It's, I'll, get, I'll get a top off on that. Yeah, right. Richie, what do you? Th- and again, you know, talking about you know the anti corporate, you know. Being, um, you know, Richie. To me, you're one of my favorite New York City brewers. You know, you, you, you're doing Thanks, a lot man. of things hands on, and you know, Thank to you, me, man. you're like what a craft brewer is. Thanks. How, how do you taste this beer? Oh, I, I, I think the, I think, you can see that it's a not not a refined beer, and I think that lends to more flavor. Yeah. It's, it's right up my alley. I love that. You know. I know it's tough, isn't fan, it? Fancy, Pete, you, you know how to this. All these fancy growlers. We got one you know, of these, uh, one of the double walled steel ones, and it's. Jeez, Louise! I'll tell you what, man, they're built to keep the carbo yeah, in. You really? know, <laughs> it's, it's struggling to open this uh, fancy growler. But you know, the, the, the show, I guess, is it is a reaction to you know Wicked Weed being bought. And the last time Richie was on, he talked about the homebrew. Supply. I loosened it up. You know, I, <laughs> I don't. We're going to get there and talk more about it, but. I also wanted to say, you know, I've been reading about this issue lately, and Jeff Alworth, who I think is a great writer, yeah. based in the Pacific Northwest, he was on our show not too long ago, a year and a half ago, and he, he was he wrote something about the, the moral issue of why people, you know, don't like the you know the the big corporate takeovers and they want to support 
craft, and I just want to say a few things. I'm going to read what he said. He said, the, the age of consolidation has surfaced uh, one of the more unusual quirks of the American craft beer segment, um, the strange morality that has come to pervade it. There's really no other word either. Morality is that agreement among groups about what is acceptable. It's kind of like he's talking about a tribe. You know, That's where, what I, well, when you used the word tribal when we were talking before the show, I, I, that, really, that really hit a nerve with me. I think it is like that. You know, we're a tribe, and we want, I want to see guys like Richie busting his ass, working hard, hurting himself, and then rewarding and making good it. beer. And I want to meet guys like yeah. Pete who are still like struggling to op- keep a, a homebrew shop going you- instead of just, just getting people to buy online. But that's a whole but- bigger thing. It's like we want to go to shops. We want to, we want to meet real people. We yeah. want places to gather. We don't want to do everything online. But you, you know what you know what's interesting about that? Like aside from it, oh, we want to listen to as, podcasts online, right? There you, go. <laughs> you can listen to a podcast while you're cutting yeah. grass or doing the dishes. Yeah. But you know, like aside from it being a tribe, because that makes it kind of nostalgic, kind of thing. I mean, if you look this, con- like he, you know, he mentioned consolidation, and how many industries has it happened in the United States? And it happened in the beer industry as well. Yeah, and it's like. You know, now people say, some people say, oh, I don't think that could really happen. We're a cohesive group. We're kind of a passive co- cohesive group. But it's it already had happened in the States of breweries being reduced, you know, down to 44. You know, and now the chess pieces are kind of being purchased and it could very well happen yeah. all over again. Well, you're right. You I, I, it's funny. I'm glad I read it out loud. And Rich, you have a good ear because you picked up on the age of consolidation and Whatever anyone's talking about, last year's election, whatever industry went through consolidation, you know, there's there's big profits to the big guys, and right. in the end, not just the workers, but but us as consumers, we suffer. You know, yeah. we have fewer choice, fewer real choices. You know, though, on the other and hand, fewer chances I, I of keep community. The, the consumer has power on this too, um, because I mean, I think the consumer has as much credit for this as as the producer does. You know, because it's. Right. They have not been getting a lot of push on this. I mean, because it's the wholesalers that make the market in beer, and they didn't on this one. It was us. It was the drinkers that made it, because we kept asking. I remember back in the early 90s, like I said, I've been in this about 25 years. I remember talking to bar owners, you know, bring this beer in. It was At that time, down in Philly, it was Dock Street Amber. I'm like, could you get that in? And the guy's like, no, it doesn't sell. I'm like, would you ever get any? He said, no, I don't get any because it doesn't sell. Like, well, duh. If you don't have it, you can't sell it. Right. You know, and they'd get it in and sell like crazy. And that's what did it because we were pulling right. at it. And, you know, you know, it's interesting, too, because, like, we, if if we think of we as a tribe, we're going all the way back to the to the homebrewers in the 70s. Those were our, you know, our patriarchs and matriarchs that started this environment in the first place. And it's like... um you know, it's it's like uh, continue, man. No. <laughs> I don't want to go too. No, far. the the only thing is, I I don't want to get. I mean, I think this is. Um, I mean, we may be coming to a crisis point, but I don't want to overblow it because, I mean, again, the twenty five years thing. Yeah, I've been hearing scary stories about what the big breweries are going to do to us for twenty five years, and what happens? We, we, craft beer kicks ass. I mean, they just keep winning, and I think that I think we're going to overcome this too. But I, but I think also what, what it ain't going to be easy. <laughs> what, what, what I'll say without trying to sound like trying to sound too sweeping is that we 
of all these other industries that have consolidated, we are maybe one of the few industries that actually took an industry back. We, yes. took, we took the industry back yeah. from grassroots, and, it's, and it really is in the power of that's the optimistic angle on all this is that we took it back in the first place and we can retain it if we become more and more vocal about it. Frankly, like the way Sam Callione just did a couple of weeks ago when he came out. Pulled on rate beer. On rate beer and yeah. called him out and basically said, I want, you know, I want everything taken off of rate beer. Sam Callione is one of those patriarchs. He's, he's somebody that leads, and we need more higher-profile leaders. That's awesome. We're off to a great start. We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo! Heritage Foods USA is a farm-to-table online butcher and founded sponsor of Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Foods got its start when Patrick Martin's first stepped foot onto Frank Reese's Kansas farm in 2001. Back then, Frank was the only farmer in America raising true heritage turkeys with recorded lineages tracing back more than 150 years. Patrick knew instantly he'd found a unique moment, an opportunity to go beyond acknowledging these breeds as being jeopardized and to actually do something to save them. Patrick asked Frank to ramp up production and made a promise to him that if he would raise them, Heritage Foods USA would sell them. That was the moment that Heritage Foods slogan, Eat Them to Save Them, was born. By creating a market for delicious meats from Heritage Breeds, we can ensure they'll be around for generations to come. Plus, Heritage Breeds just tastes a whole lot better. Learn more at HeritageFoodsUSA.com and use the code HERITAGERADIO for two free pork chops with your first order, brother. Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, you know, while you listen to that little ad, we're game planning the, the rest of the show. And then this is a big issue for us tackling this. We try to talk more about individual stories, and, and, and uh, this is the first time we've really tackled, like, a bigger, you know, macro issue. But um, so Richie and Lou, you guys were talking about, so rape beer was also bought by the Evil Empire. Well, but ZX Ventures, they're, they're an arm. <laughs> they're an arm. Which is kind tentacle. of interesting. We prefer tentacle. Tentacle. Yeah. And, and they define themselves as disruptive growth. But my thing is, what if I don't even go to rate beer? Like, honestly, like, as a lot of these, these beers have been acquired, you know, or, you know, whatever it's called, the uh, consolidation, often I'm like, well, I never really bought that anyways. I mean, I guess I'm so hyper-local and hyper-focused on craft. It's like, I never, I never went to rate beer once. I mean, I go to, I go to Beer Advocate, but I also... A lot of times it pops up when I'm looking at a beer, beer menus, which is based out of New yeah. York City. And those are my guys. So, I mean, but, but so Sam Collagen, why did he, why did he get so <laughs> upset about uh, AB InBev owning rape beer? It, it, it's well, just a could, website. If I could well, throw actually, in on this, because I, I, I don't go to rape beer either. Um, I mean, I went to it occasionally. I went to it more than you did, I guess. But probably, I mean, it's kind of like cigarettes. I think I've smoked 20 cigarettes in my life. That's probably about the rate beer ratio for me. And Lou's wife's here. Get her on the mic. Lou, is that true? That, uh, Kathy, is that true that your husband only I, smoked 20 cigarettes? I didn't cigarettes? actually realize he smoked beer. Or smoked beer, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> smoked yeah, I don't... I do do smoked beer. Anyway, um, so, rate beer, I mean, I don't think they're... I mean, there was as soon as people were saying that they bought rate beer, the, the first thought people had was they're going to juice the ratings for their own beers. I don't think that's at all it at all, and I think that's um, 
you know, that would be that would be a, a bad idea for them. I think what they're doing, they're looking for the information. They're looking for the marketing information. Right. They're looking for like who wants what, who likes what trends. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I mean, is, I know which is what um, they ignored in the eighties. I know Ken 80s. Weaver, uh, another beer writer. Worked with Rate Beer. He used to flex those numbers all the time and get some really interesting information out of that data. And I think that's what they're really buying. And I think Sam is actually dead on the money with this because I got to tell you, if I was a guy who had a bunch of reviews on Rate Beer and I knew that AB was now going to be using my data to, to plot, I don't know, world domination, I'd be kind of pissed. You know, at some and point, how many breweries do you think that they'll buy? Like, uh, Richie, tell me about uh, one of the breweries you mentioned, Ten Barrels. Yeah, is expanding well, around the country. Well, well, you know, yeah, they they have ten right now. But you figure if, I mean, maybe that's enough. They're big breweries. Yeah, I think maybe you know? maybe five more would maybe, do it. Yeah, because yeah. you figure if every brewery. What, what, could, so what a Ten Barrel do they open some? Well, what they, what they did was well, or? just like as little indicators of what is coming, what could be coming. It's like it's like, and and the idea is like. Is it better to be cautious? And I would say it probably is. And in the case with Ten Barrel, all right, and we're talking about in the context of consolidation, all right, what do we see in the United States all over the place? You want to get some kind of, uh, you want to get a doorknob that broke. You'd be hard-pressed to find an independently-owned hardware store these days, right? Truth. Everything is a, a retail outlet, right? Chains. What they did with Ten Barrel well, was- if the doorknob breaks, you just buy a whole new door. Right, there you go. <laughs> Well, well, who do you have to go to, to, right? Who do you have to go to? Lowe's, so, Home Depot, exactly, Amazon. That's right. about it, <laughs> right? So, what? What? Uh, Ten Barrel. Ten Barrel is based in Portland. Lat two weeks ago, they opened a brew pub in San Diego to the to the, you know, basically infuriated the um, San Diego uh, Brewers Guild, and they also have plans to bre- open another brew pub in Denver. So what we're starting to see, and they're actually, these same techniques is what they're employing in China. So they're testing things out in China where there are fewer regulations. They've already bought two breweries in China, AB and Bev, microbreweries. But what they did was they opened this brew pub in prime real estate in San Diego, which other breweries might not be able to afford the real estate, right? And... Basically now, like, are paving the way to what you might speculate could be uh, chain breweries around the United States. So it's like Trader Joe's. They're coming in. They get right. the best store. Yeah. They're tra- exactly. Even though people say, I like to shop local. I, we, you know, I'm involved in a small business community in the East Village in New York City. And we had a big hearing last week about zoning. And one woman said, you know, I'd like to go to this local organic market where I know everything's really good. But I can afford to go to Trader Joe's. So there right. is definitely – they create market inefficiencies. Right. It's kind of like the way Walmart took over America. Yep. Exactly. And, and, not, uh, not, and I think not, that's really what it's about. It's about where you want to shop. The average person only has so much money to spend. And if you, can, and if you buy something for a few dollars left, I'm going to go to – people say, I'll go to Trader Joe's and buy the two-buck Chuck, right. which is their wine. Right. It, well, look, it's hard to compete. And let's say in Pete's context, I mean, again, to, to, to lean on the side of caution, I mean, if Northern Brewer – and, this, and I, I, it, it kind of pains me to even say it. Because that, you know, it's like I don't. It's almost like saying the wrong thing that you shouldn't say. But who's to stop? Uh, you know, the biggest, you know, macro brewing entity in the world from opening up chain homebrew shops. Yeah, 
You know what I mean? I mean, well, how about this? Let's nothing- take a step back. Let, let's talk about the, again the importance of homebrew shops. You know, do most people buy their homebrew supplies? Because there's millions of like just this past weekend. A big shout out to American Homebrew Association. They had their national annual conference in uh, Minnesota. And again, some some of the homebrewers that that win those awards are some of the best brewers in America. Right. Our, our friend Pete Salmon, who is one of the top brewers at Other Half, just a couple of years ago, he and his pals they won the best beer at the, the AHA. Well, you know, here's the, and there's talk about so this there's on, millions of Americans homebrewing. There's, there's talk, Where do they buy their supplies? Well, let's say if they buy whether they buy from Pete. Here's the thing: if they wrestle control of who they're buying it from. So that now it's from Northern Brewer, and there's talk about this online. Maybe it's slightly a conspiracy theory, but again, the idea, as if you said before, with rate beer, you're gathering information. Yeah. If you're buying, net, what is the most valuable thing aside from possibly being able to take over a million, a billion dollar industry per year? You're also buying what people are you buying. Ha- you have yeah. sales invoices. You have the trends of what people are ingredients. The beers that they're producing, you ha- is, that's I mean, the easiest how, way to keep your ear to the ground. This is how retail works. I mean, my wife and I are, are working on a house, and I was looking at light fixtures, and I went to a news story on CNN this morning, and there's light fixtures ads in my in my news feed. And that's what they're doing. Right. They're looking to get that kind of data right. and said, look, oh, here, you were looking at malt. We have malt. This is malt, our malt for sale. Wouldn't you like that right now? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's And you know and you know what's interesting? Like I said before, this company that bought I mean, we're not talking about this company, but <laughs> AB and Bev bought yeah, go ahead. Northern, it's not Voldemort. Go ahead right, and say North, that. Brought, well, well, <laughs> no, bought Northern Brewer under this arm, this tentacle. Ha- Harry Potter called, era's over, now it's back to <laughs> Evil Empire. They bought they bought Northern Brewer under their arm called ZX Ventures, right? This is interesting stuff. ZX Ventures is self-described as a disruptive growth investment company. Now, what what the hell does that mean? In in disruptive growth or in disruptive innovation? It's kind of interesting, man. And talk about conspiracy theories. It's a term that is basically generated by a a Harvard um, business school professor, this guy Clayton Christensen. And it's the idea that you come into an industry and use techniques that they've never used before, and you basically take the industry over, and anybody that was previously in this in the industry is is left to do like to you know go find yourself go find yourself some other way to make make a you know make a living. And the examples, I mean, examples of exactly what this is is like, frankly, replacing record stores with iTunes, replacing taxis with Uber. Now, how about like these? It's Thinking out of the box to Although take I, over I, I an do industry. I miss record stores, you know. Yeah, Tower that was a cool thing. Tower Records went yeah. down because of consolidation. Let, let's let's. Here's actually a, a, a real test of who knows which breweries are owned by AB InBev and which aren't. So, Pete, you you proudly brought us a special Long Island beer. So let's tell sure. us what this beer is because this is pretty good. Yeah. So it was. Uh, so it's, it's from uh, Long Island Craft Beer Week. Long Island, Long Island Craft Beer Special Week, which brew. was a couple of weeks ago. It was a collaboration <laughs> brew. It was a red ale. Um, it was done by several different uh, breweries in Long Island, uh, 1940s in Holbrook. Wait, so it says it's called Long Island Craft Beer Week, which just happened. Yeah. The Craft Cares, which is a great idea. So 
uh, you know, this shows how, how cool brewers are. How did you get this can? Would it trade in some old coats or something? So how, how this would, you know, actually signed on to participate with Long Island uh, Craft, Craft Beer Week. He didn't give an old coats. But. Yeah, I didn't. It was, for, it was two cans of food for a can of beer. So I got, a, you know, several cases. And, Deal. And, Craft uh, you know, people came in. They brought in two cans of food that went to a food kitchen, and they got a can of beer. And it was, you know, collaboration from uh, several different um, breweries. And, uh, you know, I can, I'll, I'll read them off, but 1940s in Holbrook. Uh, but it says Long Island Craft Beer Week. Yeah. Which was, you know, so the breweries that participated in this, in this are? It's uh, 1940s in Holbrook, Port Jeff, Port Jefferson. Our buddies, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Brickhouse Brewery, Barrage, Sand City, Spiderbite, Twin Fork, Great South Bay, and, and Blue Point. Okay. Oh! So which of those beers is not a craft brewery and is owned by AB InBev? The last one. But here's, here's, see, here's my point on all that. You guys have phones. Okay. If I, 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 I have to be honest, I don't have a signal. <laughs> but if I typed in. Because you're from Pennsylvania. Oh, stop it. <laughs> if I typed in who owns or who makes Blue Point beer. Google will tell me in under five seconds, Anheuser-Busch. It will. I've done this. I've done this a number of times. So my point is, if people care, right. they can find out. Right. The, the problem is, and the problem with, you know, I was thinking of this when you were talking about the 10-barrel thing in, in San Diego. Most people don't care. Well, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add something to that. Yeah. There was a guy that put the word out. He did a uh, GoFundMe, right? When they were going to open, and I think they opened May Wait, first. May the, the beer, Long Island Craft Beer Week, uh, Craft Cares Red Ale. Just yeah, so, you know, we had that. Okay, cool. All right, I'll say it quick. And that um, was really malty <laughs> and roasty. Yes, yeah. um, roasty red. There you go. Um, so there was a guy that took particular offense to ten barrel opening a, a and actually the 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 San Diego Brewers Guild really t- took interest in this, you know. Um, but there was a guy that basically he did a GoFundMe and he um, he's, he wanted to charter an airplane with a banner. <laughs> and the banner was to say, uh, 10 Barrel is not craft beer. And he did a GoFundMe. He needed 900 bucks and he ended up raising over $4,000 for it. And he flew that plane for three hours over there. They did a block party event. He flew it over their, their, their space for three hours. Ten barrel is not craft beer. And now he has an extra $3,000 that he said he's going to save it for other, other shenanigans like I would this. put up a billboard. And I just want to say, I, I don't usually really talk about this on this show, but I'd like to say that you know, some of the brewers that we know, like Port Jeff you know, out in Long Island, they, they do make good beer, and I, and I like this beer. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's, it's solid. You know, for, for me, it's also like there, there is, it's becoming confusing. Like, it is. The other day, we're, we're planning an event for, oh it's, oh, it's July, Good Beer Month in New York City. It'll be the ninth year in July. Every year, we host a, like a, a tasting gathering panel at WNYC's Green Space, and we, we love doing it. This year, it's going to be July 19th with uh, Jeff O'Neill from Industrial Arts Brewing and John Siegel from Siegel Hop Branch. It's going to be a nice conversation about hops and beers, and it'll be cool. I got an email from someone. I'm going to say a Devil's Backbone. They said we want to participate in that, and I, I, I thought, oh, wow, I know that name. It, it, I know that's, that must be a cool brewery, and I, I looked it up online, and it, I realized that it also had been acquired by AB InBev. Yep. I, I actually had to say, well, you know, it's, it's, I mean, honestly, it's like, do you want to get involved with the money? 
but you're not a craft brewery, so we really can't consider you. And, and they, these are very complicated times because yeah. how do I turn my back on, you know, I was friends with uh, Greg Hall and, and Goose Island. and I, I got to tell you, I'm good friends with the brewer at, at Devil's Backbone, Jason Oliver. Known the guy for years, followed him through several and craft breweries. Friends of Virtue Cider. You know, so many of these breweries we've been friends with. We had Wicked Weed on the air just a couple of years yeah. ago. And um, it, it is very complicated, but, but it's like you have to draw a line in the sand at some point. And then that's what I think. And I think that this show is about, it's called Drawing a Line in the Sand because we, we want to, I want to, it's, it's like, like we said earlier about what was the industry I mentioned? I can't remember now. Uh, it wasn't pharmacies. It, it wasn't hardware stores. It wasn't. It was hardware stores. It was all these things. It was, it was pharmacies, hardware yeah, stores, yeah. coffee bars. Well, and see, that's the other thing. You know, when, which industries do you care about? You know? Who do you, who, what hotels do you go to? Because there are websites out there that will let you find a mom and a pop hotel where you go. Music stores. Music that's stores. Record stores. That's, that's what yeah. And, you know. I mean, I do go to, we have a local one place hardware store in the town where I go. I go there as often as I can. Yeah. Hell, I buy soap there. We, you know, though, like, I mean, what's, again, like this, this you know, take back of the industry. I feel like you said, like, what ones, what ones do you. Do you support and what industries do you not support? And I think most people would support a, a trend against consolidation if they knew about if it. If they knew about it. If exactly. they knew about, like, the, the negatives. Like, as an example, I mean, like, say for us, we're 5,300 small breweries strong, right? We don't have any efficiencies we have to buy at full wholesale price for our grains, our hops. When, when we produce beer, you know, it's, it's way more labor intensive than any AB InBev facility would ever have. But as a result, we employ, and this is, these are facts, we employ over 130,000 people. Right. And, and statistically, for every new brewery, every new job that the craft beer industry creates, you add another job to the local agriculture, as well as other smaller industries that support us, like label producers. So, like, if you eliminate all that, you know, like, okay, we're not so efficient and we can't make beer so cheaply, but we keep all the we keep one hundred thirty thousand people, you know, getting a paycheck. We're actually seeing a lot of that in uh, craft distilling as well. Uh, as, as Jimmy mentioned, I'm a, I'm a whiskey writer as well. The craft distilling preeminent has, whiskey writer, they have, author of stop, tasting stop. whiskey. <laughs> My they, favorite whiskey. The book. craft whiskey, a craft distilling, has sparked this incredible resurgence of uh, American grain growing. You know, I mean, there's um, uh, distiller near me is using locally grown rye from my county. I drive through the farm. It's pretty cool. Yeah, and cheers, man. And, we're, and we, you know, we like profits. We like America. And guess yeah. what? We're back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right, woo. Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. But what that really can, we got the extra parts now. 
Hey, hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guess what, guys? It's our summer membership drive. Check us out at heritageradionetwork.org. It's so easy to become a member, and it comes with limited edition summer swag like T-shirts, drink koozies, and pins for your sweet jean vest. And really, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airs this summer. So we're, we're still talking again about this, like, Evil Empire acquisition of you know breweries, but more particularly the the the, the homebrew uh, online homebrew. Can we? Uh, can we? Thing. I'm sorry, I got to break in here because this beer we just poured. This is awesome. Bridge well, Tunnel. About. It's hey, our Bridge Tunnel, buddy. Our favorite New York City craft beer. Coffee cream ale. There you go, man. This is really Richie, good. Richie, right um, how did you come up with the idea for this beer? I love. it. I've had it many times. Coffee cream. Well, twenty spot. You, I probably told you the story. I did it for. Ben and Jen at Queens Kickshaw, and I told Ben, he said, could you do a beer for our two-year anniversary? And I said, yeah, but you know how I roll at Bridge and Tunnel? Every beer has to have a story. So can you tell a story about something from your past? Because Ben grew up in Long Island City. So he, he came up with this story about he had this wild father. His, his dad was like, like an old punk rock dude who was personal friends with the Ramones, right? I met him for, that, for their anniversary, and he... And, Basically, Ben used to get mugged on his way to school. So he told. So basically, Ben told him. He said, "You know, I'm, I have this problem. I'm getting mugged." And he was a kid. He was in, you know, like elementary school. So the father, raising him as a single dad, came up with the solution that he would send Ben to school with a knife in one pocket and a twenty dollar bill in the other pocket. And he basically said. Make your life decision. Your choice. Your choice. If you <laughs> oh could take them, you have a knife to take them. If you can't take them, give them $20 bill, give them the $20 bill and go to school. And Ben turned out to be an upstanding, highly educated, highly successful dude. And With when a $20 I, bill in his pocket. I, and when I met his dad, I said, man, you got some really good, great parenting <laughs> techniques. Well, cheers to that. Queens Kickshaw and the story. Yeah. They also, their partners, they open a Wasail. They, be, they become leaders in the New York City cider community. And they're also a good Brazil bar at Queens Kickshaw. So, Richie, oh. you got some great stories. And, you know, again, why we love the, the home. Let's go one more thing. So, Northern Brewers, you know, buying homebrew supplies online. You know, is that how most people buy their homebrew supplies? They shop online? I think that's how most people are buying stuff in general. It's just that, that convenience. Um, but to me, I, I'm like old fashioned. I I missed, I missed going to the record store, you know, because that's where you find your new favorite band. Well, you make friends too. Yeah, yeah. You know, right? Like I like going to the the old hardware store because I like talking to the crotchety old guy who calls you Mo because he knows like you're a union guy. You know, <laughs> I miss that. I, I love that. You know, I, me personally, especially as a small business owner, it's like. I, I'll, I don't mind driving 40 minutes an hour or whatever so I can support a local guy. I appreciate it more as, like, a small business owner, for sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's, there's that convenience. To me personally, could I do online stuff? Sure. But I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on someone walking in the door. So then does it matter who owns Northern Brewer, the online homebrew supply company? I mean, I think in the long run it kind of does because they have that, that – F you money to kind of put the little guys out. You there's know? that, and there's also the, I mean, who are they responsible to? You know, yeah. I mean, like Northern Brewery used to be responsible to sure. for their customers. Well, th- then the other thing too is like, I'll get phone calls from people. I bought a kit from Northern Brewer. I'm having a problem with it. It's like, well, did you try calling Northern Brewer? It's theirs. <laughs> and they're like, 
well, they, no one's picking up the phone. Or no, like they get like a lackadaisy kind of answer, and it's like, and I'm and I'm talking them off the ledge on how to make this beer, you know, and and that's fine, you know, like I'm trying to get, I'm trying to learn that like lure them to me with with my got to hurt though. It does, well, it stings, you know. Yeah. I, look, I even have guys that come in because. Um, They'll buy a portion of their ingredients online, and I order fresh yeast every week, every other week, like liquid yeast. So that's – and to me, that, that's, that's a loss leader. That's a draw to get people in, and like they're buying packets of yeast, but they're not buying – it's like, I know you're making beer. <laughs> and it even got to a point where I was like, well, what do I need to do to get your business? And it worked with some – you know, like some people like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, I was like, you know, the yeast doesn't – Buying a packet of yeast, well, I'm not making money. It's not keeping the lights on. I was like, I'm here for you on the weekend when something doesn't work out. You know, I'm I'm here. I'm talking to you for 30 minutes on like processes or what's going on. You know, like I I took the time to become like a certified beer judge. I did all this stuff because this is something I love doing. And you know, is Northern Brewer there for you? And see, and that's that's the thing, man. It's like you you know you're abs- you absolutely have a ton of value. You know, and it's like if if we all get active in trying to get people to understand how they can hurt the local the local business, you know, it's like they don't seem to understand the impact that, you know, look, you're buying grains. You know, these guys are getting their grains at, in super sacks and then retailing them for X amount cheaper. You know, right. but really, who you hurt? You know, it's just you know the uh, securing economies of scale, scaling higher and higher by doing these mergers. They can take anybody out, and it's like who you who who's yeah okay. You're making a couple of dollars on the short term. You know, you're saving a couple of dollars, but you're gonna take a guy. You're gonna take a brick and mortar business out. Well, not that, to mention, that is there I mean, for you. That's how monopolies work. Right. You take them out to to begin with. With lower prices, and then when they're gone, right? Exactly. Jack it right up. Well, yeah. The other thing too that makes me. Did you make that noise, of, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> I can you know, do that as long as you want. Yeah. <laughs> That's called live radio. I like that. <laughs> you know, I, I keep my I keep my prices on par with with online retailers because that's my biggest competition. So it's not like I'm in Long Island, so you know you got to pay this extra premium, you know. Can't do that. No, yeah. you know it's like I, I'm, I'm on par. You know, I keep I keep myself on par. You know, I don't have those higher profit margins. You know, I'm paying local taxes. I'm supporting the police. I'm supporting the fire department. Getting your roads fixed. Northern Brewer doesn't do that stuff. And that's the th- and this and even like the same thing with like stuff like Amazon too. It's like, yeah, you're getting it cheaper, but you know, yeah, the, the only people they're supporting is UPS. Absolutely. Yeah. You right. know, and and. And even that had a recent right Whole Foods merged with right. Amazon. Amazon. Now, now they're yeah. talking about it's going to take away the the supermarkets. It, it's just it's just scary to me when I drive around in Long Island, I see all these empty retail spaces. Yeah. Well, you know what's going to happen? People are like, oh, my taxes are too high. Well, if they're not getting like that revenue from small businesses or sales tax, your property taxes are going to go up. So it's like, yeah, maybe you think you're saving a dollar or two here, but down the road, you're not, you know. You're going to price yourself out of these communities. That's that three month horizon. You know, that's all the all the farther but, people can seem to look. But that's at a it. really good. That's a good perspective. And you know, quick backstory: Why did you open a homebrew shop? Why did you open a small business at all? Obviously, crazy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> I believe in them. Well, I mean, de facto was uh, I. I was a structural line worker. I was with local three sixty one. I was a structural line worker for eight years. Previous to that, I worked for Coca Cola, another evil evil empire, I guess. 
But, um, you know. Can't get away from him. No. But uh, as an iron worker, I, I hurt my back. I herniated three discs in my back, and I, I had to go into early retirement. I had, you know, surgery and no more humping, you know, steel, no more busting rivets, nothing like that. And and I was a home brewer. I'm, I'm coming up to, you know, over 10 years of brewing. And, you know, so I was – oh, thank you. You know, I, here I'm 35. My son's about to be born. And I'm like, well, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? My my – I, I thought I had my life figured out. I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be an iron worker, and I'm going to support my family and all that other stuff. And then life happens. So the other thing, too, is like, in, in, as I was saying earlier, Nassau County is kind of like this weird um, void for craft beer. So there really is no, like, there was no, like, homebrew shops in the area. Um, I was like, let's go for it. You know, no, nothing's going on over here. Let's give it a shot. It's something I love doing. You're building a community. Yeah. Well, yeah. That, that was... And that was organic. That wasn't something I was looking to, you know, well, you know, that wasn't in the plan. The plan was just getting the, the place up and try to make some money doing it, you know, like make like a decent living. I didn't go into it thinking like homebrewing's hot. I'm going to be I will get rich. Yeah, I, that was not even in my head. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, I'd be worried. Well, because to me, it's like if you're going to open up a homebrew shop, you, that's the only hobby I've ever stuck with in my whole life, you know, is yeah. homebrewing. Um, and Richie, how did you meet Pete? We have a mutual friend, actually. Uh, my friend John, who I kind of grew up with, is now helping me on Saturdays to brew beer. He uh, He's a MTA bus driver, and he lives out near Pete, and um, we all kind of... Baldwin, New York, Long Island, That's right? It. South yeah, Shore. Baldwin, yep. Yeah. So, like, I yeah. he, he brought Pete in, and, you know, now we're... We're friends. I want to thank you, know. you, Richie and Pete. You know, this is definitely an interesting yeah. conversation. And sure. It's most people aren't talking about these things. I think we got a little deeper. I'm always a fan of the small businesses. David, uh, you're going to play a little funeral dirge for us. I'd like to tell you there that there was a time when all the good people came together and had homebrew shops and <laughs> craft breweries and brew pubs, and we hope that that time won't end. But uh, Lou, you brought in. Uh, Bottle of the wicked weed from when they're independent. It's so it's okay to drink it. Yeah, uh, a friend of mine. Check uh, our Instagram because Richie posted a picture of a, of a craft beer store that's selling wicked weed at discount. Dirt cheap. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, 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 another brewer gave this to me. Uh, Sean Lily Wilson from uh, Full Steam down in uh, Carolina. So what's the, this? Is one of the uh, wicked weed Brett beers? Yeah, he gave me one of the. Uh, what, what is it? The. Um, <laughs> Uh, Wicked Weed is a Britannomyces farmhouse ale fermented with peaches. And you know, it's really good. And it, he, he gave it to me a week before the uh, sale was announced. And I, hey. I'm like, eh, what do I do with this? <laughs> Shall I go out and hit it with a hammer? <laughs> you know, you're a church singer, aren't you, Lou? What? Yes, you know I church? am. Yeah. You know the song Only on goes, Sundays? <laughs> so we're closing this one out, but... <laughs> pray for the dead, and the dead will pray for me. We kind of went dark on there. Thank you, Dave, but... Um, you know, it's. I hey, guess, if I, if know, I could throw something about Wicked Weed real quick, you know they have their uh, their Funkatorium. Um, it's like a beer festival for sours, and right after that they sold, people abandoned fi- it. Fifty breweries pulled out, and they created their own funk. Basically, that's called the Funk Collective. And July seventh, I believe it's going to be in North Carolina. So they're doing their alternative um, response to 
Which you is know, cool. And it's also yeah. basically the same festival, the same breweries. Right. Except they, except they AV stepped and out. The, and then, you know, like, to, to, to sum it up, I mean, you know, it's like, you know, this this is, uh, to some people, a challenging issue. Other people, it's a non-issue. As I said, sometimes I get confused about which, which beers are independent and, and which beers are owned by AB InBev. And, you know, I do care. And I care mostly about guys like Rich and guys like Pete that, that are making something, that, that are paying their dues, that, that means something. And, hey, like I said, you know, you know if, you, if you want to know, just ask your phone. Google knows. All you got to do is ask. Yeah, so we're, we're, we're getting behind. We, we want to drink craft. We're not, we're not drinking, uh, you know, beers that are owned by AB and Bev. And, uh, you know, it goes up through the supply chain. But the last, again, you know, guys, thanks so much for, for helping put this show together. Um, Lou, you came up from, from uh, Pennsylvania. And, uh, Richie, one last thing about this. So, you know, you're really passionate about it. Yeah. Well, you I'm passionate about it. I'll, I'll be honest. Years ago, I had a clothing business that I lost because of the same consolidation crap. And within six months, I didn't have my business. I relied on wholesale. And six months later, the 18 accounts that I had in New York City were all out of business. So it can happen. It, and it can happen in the United States again to the craft beer industry because it nearly happened in the 1970s. So let's let's follow the lead of some of these other bigger breweries and start making a you know making a stink about it. Start making a statement. Maybe start educating our own customers in our own tap rooms, and let's turn it around. They ain't gonna care if they don't know. That's and right. Great. And I'll tell you, as part of that, uh, coming up in July, it's our ninth annual New York City July Good Beer Month. I mean, we co-created it. It's we do special shows for beer sessions radio. We give out the annual Good Beer Seal Awards for, for, for beer bars, recognizing some of the best events at uh, tasting rooms in New York City. So um, big shout-out to everybody, and thanks for coming on. Once again, everybody say their full name, and we'll go around the room. Uh, Lou Bryson, beer writer, uh, whiskey writer, author of Tasting Whiskey. Rich Castagna, Bridge and Tunnel Brewery. Peter Tripp, Homebrews and Hand Grenades. All right, you guys, thanks for coming out. And uh, I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy, intern Hillary Fasten, and engineer David Tadish, or David Tadish, or extraordinaire. And uh, thanks for joining me on the Heritage Radio Network. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo, woo. Yeah, baby. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.